Good evening and welcome to Editing Aloud. Uh, I have with me, as always, a team of some of South Africa's most thoughtful and well-informed journalists. And this evening as well, an economist, um, Iraj Abedian of Pan-African Investments, who is on the line. Um, Iraj, a late Friday night reprieve, or sort of a reprieve, from rating agency Moody's. I looked at the report which they issued this week, though, um, and I couldn't see from their own report what the logic was of doing nothing. What was your view on it? My view, my view Eleanor, is that uh, rating agencies can express views when and if there are substantial and material changes in the government's creditworthiness. Um, that's their main objective. And if you look at South Africa's government or South African government's fiscal position um, since their last expressed views, nothing material has changed. Um, ESCOM problems have become more and more transparent. Government is a lot more focused on them. Growth is going nowhere. There is no regression or any uh, change in the prospects. Um, and uh, government is uh, led by, by President Raposo is pretty much building its credibility slowly, torturously, but definitely on the positive side. So all of that means they really don't have any reason to change their views. And last but not least, coming now six weeks before the next national elections to express the views that may affect the election, it would be a bad strategic move on the part of any rating agencies. Iroj, that was what struck me. I mean, is this a, as much about politics as it is about economics? Because if I look at their numbers, they've actually, uh, their forecasts on the fiscal numbers, on the budgetary numbers and on growth are worse. And yet they didn't move. I mean, is this partly because they're just waiting to see the outcome of the elections. Absolutely. Rating agencies would have to wait until national elections come and go. But as important as the national election results is the, the, the next um, uh, combination of the next cabinet, which will determine which way the governance of the economy and politics of the country will go. And that's really far more material than whatever projections they make. If, if the next cabinet is made of, of competent, legitimate, and ethical leaders, they have a fighting chance of turning the economy around if any, it takes three to five years. On the other hand, if the composition of the uh, cabinet is more of the same, then the rating agencies would have no reason to wait any longer. Lucanio, um, cowardice, indecision, or... Uh, completely rational and well thought through the decision. What do you think about the Moody's I mean, non-decision? I mean, just looking at, as you've just said, I mean, look at the numbers. They expect budget deficit to be like 4.9 as opposed to 4.3, whatever we were expecting. I mean, the debt-to-GDP ratio is supposed to peak at like 65%. The government is like, it was saying 60.2 only, only like a month and a bit ago. <laughs> so in the face of it, I mean, it doesn't really seem to make much sense. And then I suppose the question you'd ask, if, if those numbers aren't, bad enough for them to even have an opinion in terms of the rating outlook, then what would it take then? Like, where is the bar? And then, like, one way or the other, positive or negative. <laughs> it just sounds a bit odd that, 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 that I mean, as you said, that, that report doesn't make very good reading like, from, from the growth perspective, from everything. But yet they've chosen to do nothing one way or the other. So it's, it sort of does beg the question what it is that it would, that would make them actually pronounce. So con contrasting views from Le Canyon and from Mirage. 
Uh, what is your take on the Moody's well, non-decision? The fact of the matter is Moody's has always gone out of its way to accommodate South Africa and really be generous. The situation demanded an outright decision. Of course, they, 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 they took all other matters except the economic issues into consideration, the politics, and year in, year out, the politics have, have decided, disappointed them. The ANC has done exactly the opposite. And year in, year out, Moody's has said, okay, let's wait for uh, maybe in three months' time, in six months' time. That was when uh, Pravin Gordon, the last, uh, it should have been junk status at that point, when Pravin Gordon was fired, called from London to be fired by the president, Jacob Zuma. And they said, oh, uh, let's wait and see. And Malusi Gigaba came in and presented a budget, a medium-term budget, that they said, Moody's said, was credit negative. Yet, uh, they, okay, let's give them a chance and see what the budget does in February. Marusukikaba came in and presented again a budget that Moody's said was credit negative. They said, uh, le le let's wait for, for the medium-term uh, uh, statement. And, and then when it came to the ANC leadership contest, Moody's, when everyone else junked us, Moody said, let's wait for the leadership election of the ANC to see what happens. And they did say they hope a reformist leadership will be elected. It was a draw, as we all know. Half the, the, the lutists came in and the, the, the other half, the reformers. Moody still said, let's wait and see what the budget does. Marusa Kikaba again presented a budget and it didn't work out. We're still here. So everyone needs a good friend like Moody's. They, 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 they don't care about credibility. They stick to their decision, and that is we're not junking South Africa, even as the economics demand it. Mm. ESCOM has gone worse. South African Airways has gone even worse. Every, we've raised taxes that are not going to, to help, uh, that are actually going to drag the economy deeper into recession. But hey, Moody's sticks to it. We're not junking you guys. I suppose, yeah. sorry, Harry, if yeah. I could just add to yeah. that. I mean, I suppose, like, I think, like, it's a point you actually, you, I think you made it in your column in the Business Times. I mean, what these companies are there, you know, is to judge whether or not we'll be able to pay our debt. So I suppose in their defense, I mean, is there anybody out there suggesting South Africa will, is there a chance, it's about to default at any point? And yes, yes. I mean, I, I think the point they also, they make, they, they say, like, our metrics are actually not different from other countries that are in the BAA3, like, levels. So, that, I mean, I suppose that could be one justification. I mean, I doubt there's anybody out there who thinks you know, that, you know, that South Africa is going to become Argentina tomorrow or Venezuela or whatever. That is actually the chance Except that the that, bond that, that, that market, be paying. The bond market has already priced us at exactly uh, the level of Argentina and, and, and all of them. It's only Moody's. Uh, I'm not complaining. Uh, it's only Moody's that's standing between South Africa and the junk status. All the other factors point to a junk status. Yes, mm. yes. Let me bring Iraj back again. Iraj, um, you can rely on a bunch of journalists to be as sceptical as possible. Um, what, in your view, would it take for Moody's to begin the downgrade process to put us on negative outlook again? I think two things will, will turn the table on us. One is if the level of not total debt, but foreign debt, Remember, this is global credit worthiness of the South African government. And unlike Argentina, Brazil, Turkey, and all other emerging economies, our proportion of foreign from total government debt is very, very little. It's around 10, 11%. Um, and the question that technically has to be asked, 
can the South African government service that debt, which means can the country's earnings from its exports service that component of its debt? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Therefore, on that front, nothing has changed. And so that's, if that changes, that they'll change their views. The second one, as I mentioned earlier, if the next cabinet is packed with a bunch of incompetent, unethical, and complicit people, that means in the medium term, the government has no chance of getting the economy back on track, uh, and therefore there is no hope anymore. So those are the two uh, critical factors as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think, I think, Iraj, uh, the, the question about the incoming government can be answered right now. Uh, be, because what, what, what we see there, look at the list of the uh, candidates for the ANC going into parliament. Do you really think Malusi Kikaba, he's right uh, amongst the top there, uh, and Batabinet Lamini and all of them? Do you think anything will change when it comes to governance? and turning around the economy. Surely Moody's also knows what the answer is to that? No, I think, sorry, uh, I mean, that is your assumption, but the president, in terms of the Constitution, has the right. Whether he will exercise it or not, we will know on the 9th or 10th of May. But he is constitutionally fully in part to appoint whoever he feels competent to the cabinet. And if the cabinet on the economic and industrial portfolios are populated by competent and, 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 and ethical leaders, that's what matters. Moody's, as well as you and I, understand that politics is also a game of balancing acts of political stability and economic stability, and, and no doubt the president will take that into account too. Iraj, how much does it matter? Just um, coming up to the end of the, 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 this half of the show, how much does it matter how many people are in the cabinet? Because one of the things which the president has promised is to, um, is to cut the size of government in general, but of the cabinet in particular. Uh, the personnel in the cabinet clearly matters, but does the size matter in terms of in the investor and the rating agency outlook? Absolutely. Overhead of any organization, including government, matters because it signifies the, the attitude towards public expenditure and the importance of getting value for money. We have a ridiculously over-bloated cabinet under, under Zuma. The president has stuck to it and promised to change it. To just give you an indicative number, Switzerland has got seven ministries. We have, which means seven ministers in the cabinet, we have 74 of them. That's ridiculous. So we're looking forward to the president to trim it down, to bring it to around 20 to 30, run the show like an efficient and accountable operations. If he does that, numbers matter, but as important as the number is, who is running and what message it sends. Lucanio, what chance of getting it down to 20 to 30? What probability <laughs> would you put on that one? I mean, I'm not, not, not very high. I, would, I mean, obviously, that's where you'd want to be. I mean, we, we all know why we've got, we've got such a bloated cabinet. It was not ready to, like, serve for service delivery purposes or delivery or governance purposes. It was about, you know, like, power, building a power patronage. base and patronage. So, I mean, do we I mean, what do we have? Like, find the Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of Economic Development, Ministry of... Like, DTI, and then you also got small government. I mean, this, I mean, these things they need they need they need to be like rationalized and and 
and basically what needs to be done and what's politically possible are not always the same thing. So we'll have to see. And like, I mean, I know Sikonat is a bit more, is a bit more skeptical than Iraj is, so I hope we'll exist maybe somewhere in the middle we might, there might be something. Before we go back to talking about elections, um, speaking of appointments, we have a new permanent commissioner of the South African Revenue Service. Um, who, Mr. Edward Kiesvetter, who's been talking about his challenges, his role. At the same time, we have had the South African Revenue Service come out with its usual 1st of April, end of fiscal year numbers, which are pretty bad. So, Iraj, we've got a sort of, on the one hand, on the other hand, I, I presume that uh, Mr. Kiesvetter is good news, and I wanted you to sort of talk us through why that is good news and whether it is good news. But on the other hand, we've got much worse than expected um, shortfall numbers from from SARS. Um, is his challenge bigger than we thought it was? I think, I think the appointment is definitely a, a correct one because given the state of um, SARS and the degeneration of his organizational capability um, and technical capability, you need a commissioner who can hit the ground running. There's no point, there's no time for somebody coming to learn to take two years, etc., etc., and to the extent that he has been before deputy commissioner and he knows the organization, he also knows how much degeneration has taken place. Is absolutely the right appointment. Source is also important and related to your second question: is that part of the degeneration has been that a whole lot of people have gotten away with murder, not paying their taxes, including the crooks who have looted uh, public and private entities. And it's not just in SOEs, in the private sector too. So you need staffs to get up to, uh, to speed, to collect, and not fall behind. Um, there is no doubt in my mind that the shortfall in the budget is because SARS did not have the capacity to collect the, 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 the taxes that are due, and people got away with it. So we, we, we also have to have SARS back on its feet so that to make sure that in conjunction and in collaboration with HOPES and, and NPA, they bring accountability back to business, to the business sector, to the corporate sector, as well as to the government sector. Sikonati, you called it in the Financial Mail this week, you called SARS a real fixer-upper. Um, does uh, Edward Kiesvetter have what it takes? He, he definitely has got a good track record. He's, he's been... He's shown definitely at Alexander Forbes that he was a turnaround uh, uh, person. Uh, he was he's a turnaround specialist, and he's been at SARS. He was a deputy commissioner at SARS. So, like Abirjan says, uh, like, like Iraj over there says, uh, he's he doesn't have time to 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 start learning on anything. He's got to hit the ground running. He's worked for SARS before. He's actually been in charge of the large business unit so that's he's exactly the, the the perfect candidate for for for, for this thing and and uh, he comes in five years sars has met its revenue targets uh, he, he he's, he's gonna pick it from the bottom and he will run with it i'm i'm absolutely confident of his abilities look can you the, the nugent commission also recommended quite a lot of other governance changes um how important is it that that though you know, in in to try and prevent the kind of Tom Moyani mm -hmm. disaster ever happening again, how important is it that those happen? Yeah. I mean, are they urgent? Are they for the longer term? What what are the sort of priorities now? Yeah, 
I think that I mean, that's definitely crucial across the board. I mean, like, you know, to get good, good governance, it's not really about necessarily about getting the right person for a five-year term. It's actually building the institutions that survive beyond that person. And then I think the whole thing about having somebody to look over it on outsider, for example, to analyze it or to, 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 that it can be accountable to somebody else outside just the commissioner so the commission doesn't become sort of like this whole powerful body. I mean, I mean, you have all the power to run it, but, but at least it's accountable to somebody else on the outside and then you're able to actually like look at it and, and analyze what, what's happening in there. And I mean, all these things, it's got to be around about, you know, like take, take, remove this sort of like individual personality risk. And, and actually trying to build an institution that, 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 that can survive whoever is like, you know, if take, takes over next year, then, then, then you know the whole place is still going to run the way it's supposed to run, like, like, any, like any durable institution. And if that was the case, I mean, I, I think, like, I mean, SARS, it wasn't like an accident that, 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 that it got where it is. I mean, there was a, a concerted attempt to undermine it. So I don't, I don't know whether you can build any institution that's strong enough to, then, to resist if, like, all the way from the top, you know, <laughs> there's actually, like, and active and you know, detailed and well-planned. I mean, we all know now what happened, you know, with the, um, Tom Moyane and SARS and, and, and Bain and how long that process took. You know, it wasn't just like somebody like, you, you just got somebody there who just happened to be incompetent or whatever. This, this was actually like a, a campaign. I mean, you can't do anything about that, I don't, I don't think, unless, unless other institutions can actually like intervene. Iraj, five weeks to go to elections and it feels like the country and certainly the business sector is almost in suspension waiting for for the 8th of may or the 9th of may i mean how much difference is it going to make to the outlook for the economy um a lot um if this election doesn't go the right way um the writing is in the wall as on the wall as we discussed we will be down junk graded um, so that's a big, big event. Um, and that could mean um, the difference between three years of deep recession as opposed to languishing in low growth as we have been doing. Um, so business has to, um, to, to wait and see. At the same time, uh, and as importantly, broader stability in the society going beyond macroeconomic stability is at, 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 at issue um, because everybody knows, including the political parties, that this election is not as predictable as they would like it, and um, therefore there is a lot at stake. What, what is the right way, Iraq? What is the ultimate outcome? Right way for us, for our economy, would be if uh, the ANC gets uh, unquestioned majority, uh, 58, 59, um, and uh, there is no instability arising from coalition governments that will take two years to settle down, and it will be unstable. So that is the right way at the national level. Um, equally importantly, at sub-national level, provincial level, uh, we need to make sure that the key provinces are, are facing no coalition but stable governance. Um, so that's the right combination from a macroeconomic point of view. Speaking of stability, we've already got uh, riots um, this, this morning in, in Alexandra Township. Um, people shutting down Alexandra, blocking off street, burning things, um, shouting as usual about foreigners taking houses meant for residents. Um, Sikonati, is this electioneering or is this genuine service delivery process protest? Is this the kind of thing one must expect in the next 
five weeks? We, we, will, we will get a lot of that and uh, we, because one, people have got no jobs. So they sit there doing not much and, and they take their frustrations on the weakest of society. And at this point, the weakest of society are the, are the vulnerable uh, foreigners who come in uh, looking for opportunities, having been displaced from their own countries. And someone sitting here getting unemployed and think, it's these guys. There's no evidence whatsoever that foreigners are, are taking opportunities away from the locals. Not at all. But uh, people are desperate for attention. They are desperate for jobs. They are desperate for service delivery. And in, in South Africa, of course, we have allowed it to be the culture now for people to destroy and burn property when they are dissatisfied with their own representatives, by the way. They are the same voters. Come the 8th of May, the same people that are now uh, in charge in Alexandra, be it in the city council or in the, in the province and in the republic, they will win the election and uh, we will have again these uh, rolling uh, service delivery protests. Also election-related, I think, panel. Um, Ace Makhashule, the ANC Secretary-General, uh, headlining the Sunday papers this weekend with um, reports of, of alleged serious crookery and a very Trump-type response from the ANC going into defense mode. This is fake news. This is nonsense. How disturbing are both... Uh, yes, 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 yes. But how disturbing are both the reports on, on the Secretary-General and the ANC's response? Look, Anyo? You know, this is not my territory, but I don't think this, this, these reports are necessarily new. I mean, I, I think, I mean, you, you, you know this more than me, but I think that this report has been going for a number of years now. I mean, the response, as you said, was a bit odd, especially since somebody, I think somebody else, might have been Karen Moon, pointed out that the response came at midday or something on Sunday. So whoever issued the report, <laughs> that response could not have had time to read the book <laughs> to actually like, interrogate some of the allegations. But I suppose the bigger picture here is, is, is it's, just, it's just like a sort of show about the divisions and, and the challenges that Ramaphosa has in terms of actually managing his own party, let alone before he can think about managing the politics of the, and the, and, and the new dawn and the... And, you know, and getting the, this economy on a, on a growth path. I mean, it, it sort of makes you a bit depressed in a way because you, when you look at what's happening, because the NC is actually like a, a war in, within itself. And it's, it's almost doesn't matter what the opposition, DA, or anybody else says. We have to watch what's happening within the NC and, and, and it's not very pretty, it's not very stable. And this just highlights that the kind of challenges Ramaphosa faces. I mean, is he ever going to be able to, 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 to do any action even if he wanted to? The, no. the, these, these reports about, uh, these allegations about Ace Mahashule will not surprise anyone who's been in this country and observing the politics uh, of, of this. And these, most of them are only allegations because nobody has been arrested and prosecuted. Uh, if, if that were the case, uh, the, the Mahashules of this world, Malusi Kigabas and, and all of them, the, 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 very, uh, the, the very enablers of state capture. He's known as a great Gupta friend, uh, and, and then there's the Tenel matters and everything. These should not surprise anyone who's been in this country and observing the politics of the ANC. Over the past 10 years, I repeat again, there are allegations merely because there's been no prosecuting service. One. Two, the biggest problem uh, facing the ANC, in fact, is uh, the whole structure. In a normal society, in a normal organization, had that happened to the Democratic Alliance, for example, that person would have been suspended, given time to, to, to face and sort out their matters, 
and, and, and that's it. Now, Ace Mahashule is the engine that runs the ANC at this point. For him to be suspended, the National Executive Committee, he will have to call the, uh, the NEC and say, come guys, let's have a meeting so we can, we can suspend me. That's not going to happen. Last but not least, uh, Iraj, uh, we had an, an interest rate decision from the Reserve Bank last week. Um, as they always remind us, doing nothing is also a decision. Um, the Reserve Bank sounded quite dovish. Um, was that your impression? And if that is the case, then what is the next interest rate move and when? I think the Reserve Bank over the past uh, six months have been blowing hot and cold, um, dovish and hawkish. Um, it's because it's really driven mostly by international interest rate directions. At the moment, its indications are that the global economy is cooling off, including the United States, thanks to bad politics in, in the United States. And uh, that being the case, the global interest rate direction is, is a stable or downwards, which means it gives us, it gives the Reserve Bank an opportunity to raise and to reduce interest rates, in my view, given that there is no international pressure and domestically there isn't any pressure on the economy at all, and there is even less pressure on price increases despite the horrendous increases in the price of electricity and, and fuel. Um, the, the consumption is almost dead, um, and the Reserve Bank has to cut interest rates soon after the elections. Thank you very much, Iraj, and thank you, panel. Um, that's all we have time for. Uh, please join us again next week for the next edition of Editing Aloud.